Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills, the technical skills, soft skills, leadership skills, and personal understanding that marketers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. We're here to ensure that marketers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. What is this bloke doing introducing Abby's podcast? Well, it turns out that she has got the amazing landmark of 100 episodes. And to celebrate, we thought we'd turn the tables. So on this special episode, Abby is going to be answering the questions rather than asking them. By the way, my name's John from the Uncensored CMO podcast, if you hadn't worked it out yet. So I'm going to be putting the questions to Abby to find out what she's learned over those 100 episodes, what's inspired her, what is a whole marketer, and what can you learn about being a whole marketer? So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Abby, welcome to your own show. Well, this is a bit strange to say the least. How does it feel to be on the other side of the conversation? Do you know, it's really funny because obviously I've been on other podcasts before, but being on your own is quite something. It really is it, quite something. It is. You're not in control. You've handed control to somebody else. This is a very bold move. And who better to hand control to than your good self, John? Well, you're very kind. You're very kind. Let's start at the beginning, the whole marketer. So where did the idea for the whole marketer come from? Well, it was a Jerry Maguire moment. For those that have watched the film, that epiphany moment when he realises that things should be done differently, things have to be done differently. And it was exactly that for me. I was on holiday in Cyprus. My boys were in the pool, way too cold for me. And I was just sat there reflecting, reflecting on the two weeks that had gone by. And in the nature of my work, I do lots of many things, you know, whether I'm training, whether I'm coaching, whether I'm consulting. And What was coming through in that reflection was that every single marketer that I had met was feeling overwhelmed. Every single marketer that I had met wasn't quite as fulfilled as they had been or could be. And it got me thinking around what could I do to help allow them to fall back in love with marketing? And maybe that's too strong a term. You know, there's many people like me that have always been in love with marketing. You know, hashtag marketing geeks, sorry, not sorry, as I always say. But what could I do? What could I do? And I think one of those things was clarity, clarity on the skills that marketeers of today need, because acknowledging the fact that, yeah, lots of new skills and approaches and practices have come into play. But have we actually stopped and took stock as to what we actually need to know now? Many were struggling to find the time to close those gaps and to face into them. There was definitely a piece about acknowledging the shift that we have made as a profession, which is an absolutely incredible shift, you know, to move from a support function to one that's leading the commercial agenda. But as a result of that, that comes with a whole new set of skills. You know, we're not here contributing. We're here leading. We're here having to lead cross-functional teams and take the reins of being a leader and really embracing the need to inspire and to dream big without limitations and think about where you can take that brand or business and align cross-functional teams, as well as kind of all of what I call the soft skills. And I use the word soft skills because that's how we define human skills, you know, in business, but the human skills it takes to be a great marketer, the skills that I was seeing that really separate the marketer's the best from the rest, you know, the ones where that person's really curious, they've got really great empathy, or they've got a real can-do attitude. So 
first thing was how do I give clarity on those skills, a technical soft and leadership? And then I thought, well, what can I do to face into the fulfillment piece? And having been on a journey to having been coached and then trained to be a coach, I was like, right, how can I bring this thinking in to allow others to gain fulfillment? And for me, fulfillment lies in two things. One, when we're doing things that edge us closer to our goals. And the second, when we are doing things that play to our values. So how can I help marketers get that clarity with their goals for their life as a whole, not just work? Because what we do outside of work, for me, it's our life as a whole, helps fill up our cup, can also help play to our values as well as in work. And how do I help them set goals? But also, how do I help them to start to understand themselves better? Don't get me wrong, Myers-Briggs, Insight, Colour Disc, all of those, D, all of the above are great. They're great as a common language, as a common tool for us to understand those that we work with and, and ourselves that little bit better. But for me, that's just the first layer of the onion. That's just, you know, it's almost like saying we're going to take the world's population and divide it into a box of one of 16. You know, you can't do that. And it was really to give them the tools to understand themselves better, what drives them, what motivates them, what inspires them, what their strengths are, helping build their confidence, what those beliefs are that are holding them back. How can we overcome those so you can achieve what you want to achieve? And what is it the things that you need to do every day that will edge you closer to those goals and where fulfillment lies? So it was in a very long-winded way of explaining a light bulb, Jerry Maguire moment of what can I do to help marketers feel more fulfilled in what they do and to be more successful in what they do to benefit them, but also the profession as a whole. I love that. I mean, you're so on the money with the fulfillment thing, because if you're not satisfied in yourself, if you're not able to juggle different priorities, the, I mean, marketing's a, a really pressured job, isn't it? And I also find you cannot be good at everything. I know there are things I'm good at. I know there are lots and lots of things I'm not very bad at. And it can be really stressful. And unless you think about the whole and are you being fulfilled? Because at the end of the day, our energy comes from doing things we're good at, doesn't it? And proving and the values as you talked about absolutely critical. So I really like that. People tend to focus on either coaching and separate the profession, don't they? Or they focus on technical skills. The idea you'd blend both together is, uh, is really neat. Thank you. And you're right completely on, we do feel more fulfilled when we're doing things that play to our strengths, 100%. And I think there's also an expectation and pressure that we're meant to be great at everything. And this is where imposter syndrome kicks in, when people start comparing themselves to the marketer to the left or to the right and go, well, I'm not as good as he, she, they at those things. So therefore I'm not very good. And actually it's more about identifying the things that you are really good at and owning those, but also owning the way in which you make decisions or owning the way in which you come up with ideas. Because I see, well, I see in here from a lot of the coaching sessions, people feeling pressured to have this answer on the spot when, for example, there's somebody that actually comes to a decision by reflecting. They're not someone that comes to a decision on the spot. Maybe they're more an analytical thinker. Maybe they're someone that needs to sit there and put the pros and cons. Maybe there's someone that comes up with an idea while they're walking their dog. And it's just about knowing that that's how you make decisions, knowing and owning who you are and what you're good at. So you can say, that's not my strength. This is my strength. So if you want some help on that, I'll help you with that. Or being able to say, yep, I know you want an answer, but that's not how I come to a decision. So I'm going to have to have some time and come back to you tomorrow. And it's about having the confidence to do that, but you can't do that unless you know what you need. Mm, Very, very wise. The confidence is absolutely key, I found. And being able to own 
the things you're good at and you can speak up, the things you need to go and reflect on and ask for help on is a real watershed moment. It takes that pressure away, doesn't it, that, that you can soften and feel. Now, obviously, we're recording a podcast, two podcasters. I think I hit peak podcast moment the other day. So I did a little episode with another podcaster about a topic. And then another podcast decided to post it on LinkedIn and got a comment from another podcast sort of thing. So um, <laughs> it was kind of like totally peak podcast moment sort of thing. But anyway, this is a wonderful medium, isn't it? I, in the sort of three or four years I've done what I've done have been blown away by just the engagement you get from podcasting. So talk to me about why you decided to create the podcast itself and how it's gone. So the podcast itself, as you know, I could talk all day about marketing. So there's no surprise there. And to those people that know me well, know that I can do that. You know, marketing geek, hashtag sorry, not sorry. It was actually in preparation for the book. So we were in lockdown. And I knew that I didn't want just my viewpoint to be in the book. I knew that I wanted other people's viewpoints on, particularly in those areas that we've just discussed, you know, resilience or their viewpoints on values and the change that's made, as well as, you know, their thoughts on the skills that marketers need to have. And one person said to me, how do you want to get my viewpoint? Having reached out to them, they said, podcast, written, how do you want to do it? And I thought, well, podcast makes sense. It's my natural style to have a conversation. But it also means that that input can come out to the world sooner than the book, which was going to be at that point, nine months away. And it felt like a natural Abbey way to do it. So what started as a podcast in lockdown, where I was furiously messaging Daniel Rowles from Target Internet, who had at the time the biggest marketing podcast, digital marketing podcast. I went, right, Daniel, how, how does one do such thing to even reading a book that went, how does one do a podcast? And sorting out all the tech and everything that goes along with it on my own because this is in lockdown. And it started there. It started there as a way to gather inputs for the book. And then it started to gain traction. And I thought, OK, well, maybe this is a good way to help as another channel to help promote the book. And then the book came out. And then it's just absolutely grown from there. And I don't know if you've had the same, but it's gone from those first people that you initially reached out to. And I think, you know, if I was launching a podcast now with purely a measure that was about how many listens am I going to get or how much profile is this going to raise? You know, maybe this would have been launched slightly differently. Maybe not because it's probably not who I am. But you know, thinking about the people that I reached out to then versus now being inundated. And I don't know if you've had the same with, can I come on your podcast? Can I come on your podcast? Or even being pitched people from agencies going, this person's an expert in X, Y, Z, you know, would you love them on your podcast? It's really grown from there. And I think for me, there are no end of topics to discuss because marketing's forever changing. And one of the things I want to do with the podcast is take that pain away, that one of those pain points that we talked about right in the beginning when you said what happened, what that Jerry Maguire moment, which was, we are so busy as marketers. You know, our roles and breadth of roles has stretched more than it's ever done so before, which is great because we have more accountability, but it is bloody overwhelming. And therefore, how am I meant to keep abreast of all of those latest thinking? So there's always every season a latest thinking approach that needs to be discussed. So in this case, neuroscience, previous podcast episode, performance marketing, previous, you know, there's always something. And my aim with those episodes is to give 30 minutes of an overview as to what it is. So you as a marketing practitioner can decide whether you want to go and explore it further and decide whether that's something you want to practice, bring into your practice or bring into your organization. So there's always more to be had. That's kept me going. 
And as has all the feedback from all the listeners, you know, the aha moments that they've had or the messages of I was just about to go for this job or I was just at a crossroads or I wasn't sure how to do that. And now I do. You know, it's all of that that completely fills my soul. I think that's the thing that people maybe who look at podcasts and think it's a niche media don't realize is the engagement is unlike anything else. I mean, you cannot get remotely close to the engagement you get on podcasting. I think I was listening to Stephen Bartlett talk about his podcast. He would get millions of views on YouTube and he'd get tens of thousands of downloads on the podcast and he'd get he'd get a hundred times the engagement on the podcast because People that are listening to podcasts are invested in you and they're giving, you know, 30, 40 minutes an hour to listen to you talk to a guest. That's a really high commitment level, isn't it? So that's the thing that I found amazing is as a business to business tool, it is just phenomenal. I had this funny moment the other day, actually, I, I won't say who it is because I'll get into trouble, but... Um, <laughs> Um, at, at, not at like work. you to not get into trouble, John. <laughs> I know it wouldn't be the first time, exactly. So, like at System One, we were we were trying to pitch for this very big global company, right? And we were in at the sort of lower lower levels. This PR company reached out to me, and they said, "Could they pitch the CMO of this company to come on the podcast?" And what they said it actually is, they said, "What would it take?" to get this person on your podcast. And I had to pinch myself going, this is weird, right? Mm. I'm trying to pitch them. And this is probably their boss's, 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 boss's boss who wants to pitch me to come on the podcast. I'm like, that's weird. It just shows how it opens doors that you just couldn't by putting a poster, you know, on, on a street corner or an ad in Marketing Week or whatever. It's just an incredibly rich engagement mechanism, isn't it? I couldn't agree more. And you know, it's really intimate, isn't it? It's really intimate. Mm. It's like we're sat here having what feels like a personal conversation, but even though we know hundreds and hundreds of people are going to listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there is something really powerful and intimate for the listener to listen to those conversations that other people have that feels like a fly on the wall mm. or maybe that you're part of that conversation, even though you're listening, that no other medium delivers. Yeah. And you know, I've had even people saying, you know, we were joking before the podcast about our voice. Our voice becomes part of people's lives without even realising it. And to me, it's just my voice. But to others, it's part of their weekly routine to listen to my podcast, your podcast, whoever else's podcast. I also listen to Stephen Bartlett. Not all of them. I'm selective. No, yeah, yeah. But yes, you know, I also listen to his. And I just, you know, it, they really do become part of your life in a way that, to your point, no other B2B mechanism or channel really can. No, I once did this exercise years ago. The PR company came in and, and this was back when print media was much bigger, but they put all the newspapers and print media out on the table. And they asked us to go through and identify how many stories were not placed by somebody. This is like 20 years ago when I was early in my career. But even then, 70 to 80% of what you read has been placed for a reason. It's been sold in or it's a political opinion or something like that. And it just went, oh, wow. So most things that we consume are, are either got an agenda behind them because, you know, they've been placed there or yeah. they're very short form. They're like an advert that's been produced, you know, to land a message in two seconds. And you're being sold to all the time you're being sold to. And I think the difference with podcasters you're listening to people actually be their authentic selves. They get to explore a topic. You get the good and the bad. And I think it's that authenticity that is so genuine, isn't it? I suppose you, you are being sold it in a certain way, but it's just so much more authentic and interesting than what you might read or see on the internet. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, naively, I don't think I really thought about it. 
That sounds really stupid coming from a marketer. Thought about it as a business tool. I thought about it as a way to help. And I don't know if that's come through and maybe why people listen more because it really does play to my values and it really does play to my passion points. But to your point, it's almost like the business impact has been the side benefit. Like you, I've been in situations where people are trying to pitch me guests and they're pitching. Interestingly, I don't know if you get this, they're pitching based on all their success factors. So they're saying things to me like they're a thought leader in this, they're an expert in this. They've generated this much money. And I'm like, almost like when you say the money thing to me, it actually turns me off. So for people pitching to come on the whole marketer podcast, don't put about money in it. it. It just grates me. Absolutely grates me. Tell me what they're passionate about. Tell me why they're passionate about it. Well, tell me yourself. Tell me that you're a genuinely lovely human because the guest I have, one of the filters is no egos. You know, it's people that generally want to help someone else be better at what they do. So, yeah, almost when I'm filtering, the second you say has made this much money, it's like, delete. Oh, I love that. It's funny. Years and years ago, I did negotiation training. I went to a negotiation training course. In fact, this this was back in Britvic days. I think it was called Gap. And the very, very first thing you're taught is called the art of the reverse interview, which is if you're, if you meet, let's say it's Tesco, right? If you're meeting Tesco, apparently the first thing you should do is ask them, how their business is going and what their biggest business problem is. Understand the customer's need first, and then you can sell whatever you want. And this mm. is the problem with all the people that pitch me on the podcast. They're just trying to sell you, oh, I, I can do this, I can do that. What they should be doing is going, so Abby, tell me one big topic that you haven't covered on your podcast that you think your listeners would be interested in. And then with that little bit of information, they can go, oh, Funnily enough, I know this person who's an amazing expert on this topic. And would it be okay if I put some notes together about conversations you'd have, you know, trying to help you sort of do a bit of your job? And that's how good selling works, isn't it? So even in the kind of podcast pitching world that you and I see fills up half our inbox is done so badly. The other thing I hate as well is, you know, that they're agents as well. And I just really hate that. You look at the, you scroll down the bottom and you go podcast promoter or podcast agent or whatever. And you just think they're just churning it or or they'll say, yeah, big fan of your show. And I'm dying to go, okay, which one do you listen to? What was the biggest learning? You know, (laughs) did you, you know, try and see if they actually listened? No, I get that too. It's funny that I get that too. And they've usually just listened to the last one. And they're making a comment about it on the behalf of the person that they're pitching. And, you know, I'm looking for the person that listens and really gets a feel for my podcast and knows what's going on. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have suggested guests. And Sophie Devonshire is the wonderful human that she is. She gets it right every time. You know, she's like, this person's got a book coming out. You'd absolutely love it. You know, or she's telling them to go to me direct. It's somebody who has been on the podcast and to your point is suggesting somebody else gets it absolutely correct because they know the concept. They know the feel. They have listened. They've been part of the journey. They may have been a guest themselves. That's where the magic happens. It's more like-minded, non-egoed, passionate marketers that I'm looking for. And to your point, topics that we've not yet covered. Absolutely. Now you've done a hundred episodes. Congratulations. Mm. I, I read a statistic somewhere. It was a little while ago that 50% of podcasts never get beyond the third episode and 95% of podcasts never get beyond the 23rd episode. You must be in the top 1% or 2% of podcasts to get to a hundred. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing achievement. Did you ever imagine you get to a hundred when you started? No, absolutely not. And also to your point, I do remember you messaged me when I got to a certain point and went, well done, you've got beyond the point that most people (laughs) stop at. So thank you for that. Congratulations. That's probably another little boost that kept me going. But no, absolutely not. 
you know, it started as something in lockdown to book info, research, book launch, maybe a bit beyond. There's times that I've toyed with dropping the frequency down, but the people pleaser in me can't because there's people every week going, you know, even when I take a break, when I go on holiday, they're like, when are you coming back? It's like, oh, uh, next Tuesday. You know, it's, it's the people pleaser in me is like, I can't let anybody down. They have to have their weekly episode. They have to have their fix of personal development, you know, their bit of professional development. And that's on me. It's like, there's something in me that's like, I must meet that need. So yeah, absolutely not. Did I imagine I'd get to hundred episodes? If you look back at those hundred, was there an episode, a guest or a moment that has really stuck with you as you look back? I mean, I know it's a lot to choose from, but are there any moments that really sort of struck you? I think it's the ones where people have spoken so openly and honestly, and also married with people that are in high profile jobs as well. You know, it's that stigma that what Mary Porter talks about, you know, work like a woman book. She talks about, you know, this front that we have to put on at work, or she talks about the being in the generation where working in a very male dominated industry, she felt like she had to be a certain way. And as we start to realise the importance that dropping that facade creates in building relationships and authenticity and the way in which we lead and the way in which people want us to lead. But I feel that in some of those podcast episodes, they've got even a few levels more of opening up. And the ones that stand out to me are the ones where people have spoken really openly and honestly about the topics that we don't speak about in the profession. So the episode on menopause with Claire Farrant, the marketing director at Lidl, the episodes on burnout. I did a series of three podcasts and it was a selection of marketers that I did this to almost illustrate the point that this doesn't just happen at senior level or in FMCG or another industry that's really fast moving like digital DRM channels or you know anything of that nature. This can happen to anybody. And those openness around how they arrived at burnout, what was going on in their life as a whole was really poignant. There was also episodes on diversity inclusion, a lady called Sharice Harris, who spoke about her own personal experience as a black woman in the industry. And also one that really stood out and actually I had to stop because I got tearful was someone talking about a job that they joined and, and left almost instantaneously. And, you know, I never knew that story about them. And also very brave to admit when you've, to your point, need some help or have made a mistake. So yes, it's those moments where the truth of the situation is being shared, you know, moments of redundancy. And these are some people that we look to in the profession and think, wow, incredible everything they've achieved. Actually, they've had hardships and challenges on the way too. And they've caused changes in their belief systems and the way in which they view the world as well as the rest of us. And I think that has resonated with me and so many others. You're right, aren't you? We do look up to people and go, wow, they've achieved so much. They must be superhuman. But actually, when you scratch under the surface, everybody is vulnerable. Everyone is struggling with something. Everyone has imposter syndrome to some extent. There aren't many media outlets where you can have that level of honesty. And that's what I think is so powerful, isn't it? I, mean, I agree with you, by the way. I would probably say the same as you. The most profound moments for me are those either honest conversations or really challenging questions. This afternoon, I'm recording Nils Leonard from Uncommon. So that'll be the second episode done with him. He was on much, much earlier. It, actually, that's the only episode that has made me cry in an episode. And very bizarrely, it was a B&Q advert. And you'd go, how is a B&Q advert going to make John cry? Honestly, <laughs> it's really bizarre. But the story, I had a house fire about two and a half years ago. My house burned down, right? And my daughters reacted very differently. And 
Amelie, the oldest, is really kind of resourceful and she just visually, she had a mood board about how she's going to redesign her bedroom and she's going to add an ensuite and she's going to have a wardrobe that had lights in it. And her way of dealing with it was to kind of rebuild. Lilia was just wanted to go back to how life was before to the extent that she'd asked me to find the precise lampshade and the precise curtains in the precise pattern. She wanted to rebuild, right? Mm. You know, completely, it basically reestablished what it was. And I can't quite remember, but the B&Q advert, basically, I don't know whether it featured the very same lampshade or what it was, but there's something about, I think it was around building a life, not a home or something like that. And it just brought a tear to my eye when I saw it because it just absolutely resonated with what I was trying to do at the time. And you think, wow, you know, most of what we do as marketers is fairly superficial. And then occasionally it kind of hits deep. And then I remember another couple of things said in the episode, he was like, what are you really doing? Like, okay, use the phrase, the woods are burning and you're inside and what are you doing? You know, he's just like, he has an ability to ask a profound question. And the other thing he said, which is true for you, when we met up, actually we're chatting before the podcast, he said, okay, you're a publisher now. What are you going to do with the responsibility that being a publisher comes with? I'm like, oh, never thought about that. I mean, yeah. I, like you, I, like you, I was treating this as a, not a hobby, but as a, maybe a side hustle that complemented my work that yeah. also gave me a chance to meet people. I often call it my therapy. I mean, I learn more than anybody else. I always got on the basis that I learn the most. And if you learn something, I'm happy. You know what I mean? I, I always treat it like that. So, and then he said, oh yeah, you know, you're now a publisher. What are you going to do with that responsibility? And I thought, oh yeah. There's a question. It's funny, isn't it? So those kind of deep searching questions about what are you here to do? What are you going to do with it? Are quite profound, aren't they? They are really profound. And I don't think a lot of us take enough time to sit back and reflect and really answer those questions. I certainly don't. Yeah. Because you're running at 100 miles an hour, aren't you? Marcus's job is full on, deadline based, frantic. The job's never done. I mean, the thing I struggled with, I know, in my career was this sense of trying to be good at everything and realizing I couldn't and trying to do everything and realizing I can't. And I had to come to terms with almost letting go, letting go of having to feel like I had to be good at it or had to be good at this as well as that. Or I had to learn how to say no to things or learn how to realize that I only had a limited amount of capacity. So what am I going to do with it to prioritize? All those kind of things become so important. The more senior you get, the harder and harder and harder that gets as well. It does. And actually, the power to say no is almost like the thing I'm working on, because probably like you, you get approached to do numerous things. And there's only so many hours in every day. You know, there's things that I've said no to this year, projects, another book that I just had to say no to because it was going to take me away from what I'm trying to do with the whole marketer, which is to bring it to life, bring it to life in, yes, in the concept that we described at the beginning, but the training, the coaching, the workshop programs, the speaking, the ability to deliver those programs that can really make such significant change. And focus on the whole marketer, having spent the last eight, nine years growing Labyrinth Consultancy, realizing that this is my heart. And actually, I'm going to have to say no to some things to be able to make that dream really actualized. So important, that, isn't it? So you're here today, you've got the book, you've got 100 episodes in. What's your dream for the next 100? My dream for the next 100. Isn't it funny? We were just saying we don't make enough time to reflect on what we want, do we? What do I want for the next 100? To say more of the same would be too safe an answer. 
I would like to have more episodes that have more of those in-depth conversations and face into more of those challenging topics that we don't speak about. You know, I'm really passionate about facing into the impact that burnout has on marketers and really unpicking what drives that. And from the work that I have done so far in researching what happens to drive burnout, and not in a theoretical sense, I knew that already, but in a marketer sense, there's more that I want to do with that. There's more that I want to do with that. And, you know, it seems to be there's a combination of workload, life load, coupled with that person being driven for perfection or driven to do better or driven to succeed. Those things combined in a pressure tank is usually what causes burnout. So more research into that and more into helping the individual with those unspoken topics. So perhaps that's infertility, perhaps that's illness, perhaps that's something else. So those challenges that we face as a whole person and not just as a whole marketer. Definitely latest thinking, continuing that. Definitely in bringing the thoughts of opinion leaders to the audience in that bite-sized-ness, shall we say, so that they can make an informed decision. And to your point, lots more growing for me because I grow from every single episode and not just grow in my knowledge, but also in my networking connections. You know, I've made some really great friends from this podcast. You know, I have someone in particular who listened to the podcast, came on the podcast and now is a friend, you know, and life is about the people we meet, isn't it? And the experiences that we share together. And for me, that's been something I didn't expect, but will hope to continue in the next 100 episodes. There's something lovely in what you said about saying the unsaid or having conversations on the difficult topics that no one talks about that we all experience. There's something quite profound about that because I don't know anyone who's doing it. I mean, Stephen Bartlett sort of does that, doesn't he? I mean, he's quite good at going deep into what's really going on and tackling the deeper issues. But from a marketing point of view, I don't, yeah, that, 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 I don't think there's anyone doing that. Having the difficult conversations or having the conversations about things that aren't being discussed that should be being discussed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, things not just that I've personally been challenged with or see other people challenged with, like the return to work or working patterns or, you know, whatever else that may be. But the things that continually arise, because the thing I love about marketing is that it's ever-changing. It's ever-changing in our approach, but it's ever-changing in the importance and the role in organisations. And it's also changing in the way that we show up. And I think as we start to show up more authentically, as we start to talk about these topics like burnout and wellness and, and all of those, and we start to lead, more's going to come. I don't know what it is, but I want to be there to support people with that and through that for sure. Well, when AI's taking all our jobs, we'll need it more than ever, won't we? <laughs> and you know what? I had a little go on that chatbot thing the other day and OMG, <laughs> OMG. I was doing some research for one of my goals I've got this year, which is to complete a postgrad in coaching. People just say, you're nuts. And maybe I am a little bit nuts. But I was doing some research and I put in out of curiosity a question around the change impact of coaching. And oh my God, did it throw out a whole essay. You know, it's just... I grew up in the world when we used encyclopedias. I remember when Encarta came out. For those that don't know, that was a CD-ROM that you put into a computer that was like an online encyclopedia. And, you know, it was pretty crap, to be honest, compared to today's standards. To now just asking a question, someone giving you a thorough, in-depth, well-researched answer. But, you know, it is about embracing AI. It is about using that to enhance what we bring to the world and not take away from that humanness, for sure. Going slightly beyond the podcast for a moment as well 
reflecting on your whole career and maybe what might come next as well what would you point to being your career low moment it was probably at a time when I was feeling really unfulfilled myself actually you know they often say that in founder-led businesses it's obviously a pain point or a value that you experience or you've had yourself and I was working on a consultancy project you know it's a great project on paper you know they always say they're good in paper but it has to be good in soul so you know it was good in paper and I just realized I was becoming unfulfilled and so when that project came to an end I took some time out and in that time I went and was coached and in that time I defined my values and I realized why I was lacking unfulfillment and it was because I wasn't growing it's because I wasn't growing. That organization was benefiting from my years of experience. But me personally, I wasn't learning anything new. And so I realized that learning new things like knowledge and learning new things is really important to me, as is imparting it, hence the training. And during that time, I hadn't been doing any training. So it was a low. But I think the key thing there is that I acknowledged it was a low and then went explored why it was a low. You know, it's never in the learning is in the reflection. So in reflecting in that, I could see what I was losing and therefore what I needed to bring back into my life. And that's actually when Labyrinth was born because I went, right, okay, so how do I make sure that I do have time to grow, to help others to grow, to do what I'm really good at, which is structure, order, order, rigor, be able to develop long-term strategies to really step change the growth of brands and businesses. And how do I do that in an Abbey way, which isn't just a consultant that comes in, gets everyone aligned, plan the plan, everyone goes, yeah, brilliant. And then they bugger off. Having been on the other side of that, we all stood there with this piece of paper going, we agree, we agree. And they're like, bye. And, you know, in fact, there's been a few consultancy projects in the early years of Labyrinth where I actually did pick up the consultancy project once some of the thinking had been done and actually work with the teams to bring that to life, which is a whole different skill set. You know, it's one thing to write a strategy. It's a whole other thing to make it happen, as I'm sure you know. So the low became a high. And if that high of starting Labyrinth hadn't happened, I wouldn't be where I am now with the whole marketer because I wouldn't be going into so many different organizations, training so many different teams, seeing so different marketers in that unique position where they share with me what they won't share with others. And that's where I get the true insight in the coaching, in the mentoring and in the training and in the consultancy, you know, the side conversations after the meeting or the leader that's stuck and doesn't know how to address things. That's where I realise the consistency of the themes that happen across organisations and the reality of the challenges that people face that not everybody is in a unique position like me to see that. And I think for me, like that person said to you about the responsibility of being a publisher, for me, I think it's my responsibility to start to unpick those because I see those and I can't unsee those. So what am I going to do about it? You reminded me, I once did a presentation called My Five Biggest Failures. It got oversubscribed massively. I, I think people love to sort of sit and listen to people talk about what's gone wrong. But it was quite funny, actually, because what I don't think people realise is that I talked through the five biggest things that I personally failed at in my career. And of course, what I do at the end of the conversation is reveal that what followed each of those failures was my greatest successes. And it, it's so profound how actually in those low moments, and imagine how you're feeling then, it, that's actually where the ideas get born, the values get clarified, the vision comes to life. Sometimes have to go through those moments, don't you? Almost to make you realize where you should be. And sometimes you can get stuck there, can't you? I mean, I've seen people get stuck in that place, which isn't 100%, good. And this yeah. is where coaching really helps. But 
there is definitely an opportunity to reframe that to go actually i now understand myself better i know what my values are i know where i'm going to go and i'm actually going to use this as a springboard to project myself and get myself to where i want to be and one of the questions being that it's my own podcast knew that career highs and lows was coming i reflected this morning thinking right so what actually is my career highs and i thought about lots of key moments because I think I've had lots of career highs but one that stood out for me was when I won independent consultant of the year so this was probably about a year I don't know one or two of labyrinth and it wasn't because I won an award although that was lovely so thank you for those that you know put me forward for it and those that voted for me on the panel I am 100% grateful so please don't take it this way but it was what they said when I was presented the award and the lady that's presenting said something like I love what people say about you. You have a can-do attitude, you're positive, you're super knowledgeable, but you do everything with an open heart and with passion and with an arm around that person. And it was that. That was a massive career high because it was, I wanted to do consultancy differently. I didn't want to go in there with an ego. I wanted to do this with you, for you. I wanted to share with you the challenges that I face and why I'm recommending what I'm recommending so that you don't, to your point, have those errors or mistakes, that you can benefit from those, that I can sympathise with how it feels with you being in your situation, trying to make this change within your organisation or for your brand because I've been there. And you were saying earlier, you know, there's not many people doing this in marketing. No, there's not. But there's also not many that have done it in a space of having been there too. You and I, both have been there. You're still there. You know, you're still as a marketing practitioner, as am I. And I see so many spokespeople for marketing that also consult, but they've not cried in the toilet. You know, they've not left for the day and sat on the steering wheel and thought, I can't drive home just yet. I just need a moment after that board meeting. Mm -hmm. They've not had that. And without that, I think you really lack the empathy or at least Mm -hmm. the understanding to have sympathy for the challenges that marketers of today have. Yeah. You really hit the nail on the head, actually, because coming up with the right answer in marketing is actually not that hard, right? Mm. Actually implementing it and being successful is very difficult. You know, whether it's the politics, whether it's the where do you focus your time, whether it's your motivation, whether it's how you feel, whether it's your values, all those things are the things that actually determine your success. Getting to the right answer can be fairly easy the theoretical right answer and that's the thing with consultants is they can come in and point out the blim and obvious okay well of course you should go that way or you know choose that over that that's the easy bit actually doing it and delivering it using through other people whether it's agencies your team in the context of your company when the strategy is going one direction you think you should go another all those things you know Mm. all those things and they all create pressure they all create pressure on you in terms of your sense of achievement, satisfaction, fulfillment, all the things you talked about. And it's getting into those, that area, I think, that, as you say, is fascinating about the whole marketer is what makes you successful is not just the what you know, it's, but it's how you do it and how fulfilling it is for you. Yeah, the what, the how, the why. It's all three mm. elements. Super important. So the last question you tend to ask is, what would be the one bit of marketing advice you'd offer to somebody else? And what would yours be? I'm guessing you have to pick from quite a lot, a long selection. Here, I do have you? to pick from quite a lot. But you know what? So the one that I wrote down this morning is the one piece of advice I'd give to marketers of tomorrow would be take the reins. Take the reins of your career. Take the reins of your brand or business. Take the reins of your own development. I see too many people waiting for a training course to come that's going to miraculously give them the skill that they don't have, that will miraculously give them the role that they are aspiring to. 
but not taking the reins themselves, you know, not listening to that podcast, not reading the book, not going to a webinar. You know, the one thing I love about where we are now as a profession is the amount of community support, information, training you can get access to for free, for free. It makes my job a bit trickier, but for free, right? And so there is absolutely no excuse to close those gaps, let alone on the job training, asking for help, mentors, all the rest of it. So taking the reins, getting really clear on the job that you want. Try not to track the job title. Try to track the job, the ideal role that you want, the role that plays to your strengths, that allows you to grow, that plays to your purpose, your values, that allows you to live the life that you want to live and edge closer to the ultimate goal that you want. That's where magic happens. The amount of people I've seen that have arrived at CMO and marketing director and, you know, what I call director of the universe job titles that actually aren't fulfilled is quite phenomenal. It's about finding a role that does fulfill you and making career choices based on that. That is a brilliant place to end, end on a high. Abby, thank you so much for coming on your own podcast. I've (laughs) learned so much as well from this conversation. And just to say, I love your drive, your passion, your your people-centeredness, your your desire to coach the whole, you know, and go beyond the technical skills, I I think is, is phenomenal. So I wish you every success for the next hundred. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time to do this for the whole marketer listeners and for me, John. So thank you. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm John Evans, and that was Abby Dixon appearing on her very own podcast. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed it. Do yourself a favor, go onto Amazon and order a copy of The Whole Marketer. It's a great book. It's got so much advice in it and you won't regret it. Uh, Do hit subscribe as well if you want to never miss an episode again. And you can follow Abby wherever she is. So just just search for her and you'll find her. And uh, I thoroughly recommend keeping up to date with all her content. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.